Welcome to the Psychedelic Integration Podcast. I'm Sinclair Fleetwood, your psychedelic life coach, and I teach you how to connect with your soul mission, follow your heart, and make lasting changes in your life by creating a sacred spiritual partnership with plant medicines. Learn easy tools, tips, and integration strategies that will demystify the psychedelic renaissance and open the way for you to come back home to yourself. If I can do it, you can do it too. Find out how here. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. I'm Sinclair Fleetwood. I'm so happy to have you here today. I'm speaking with Heather Shelton. She's the founder of Herb Song Farm. She's a registered nurse and nurse herbalist who's worked with botanical medicine for over two decades. She provides consultations that include herbal medicine, cannabinoid therapy, nutritional guidance, and healthy lifestyle changes. Heather blends her botanical medicine experience with her traditional nursing experience to offer a unique holistic approach to care. She's currently an instructor for psilocybin facilitators in Oregon and is witnessing incredible healing for folk, for folks using sacred fungi. Heather is deeply committed to the earth and serves as a board member for two nonprofits, the Northwest Land Conservation Trust and Fox Hollow Forest Land, where she stewards land and leads workshops on herbal medicine, self-sufficiency, and earth-based traditions. Heather, I'm so glad you're here. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. So you are my first super earth witch that I've had on the show, <laughs> super earthy herbalism earth witch. And I would love to start by talking about your own personal path to how you started doing this work. How did you get involved with plants? As a young person, I grew up in an, in an urban area and my mom had gardens, you know, it was definitely around, but I didn't really participate in any of that. Mm -hmm. um, we didn't even really grow food, although sometimes they would have a few tomato plants. And when I was 21, my early 20s, I moved to Oregon. And it was kind of this big moment in my life where I realized I'm done doing what I'm supposed to be doing, you know, mm. go to college and get a job. And I wasn't doing that very well. <laughs> so <laughs> I thought, why am I doing these things that other people want me to do? I'm going to do what I want to do. And so I packed up our packed up stuff and moved across the country with a few new friends and landed in Oregon. And I'd been here for, gosh, just a few months. And I had come upon this book called Spiritual Midwifery by Ina Mae Gaskin. And um, so I was kind of intrigued about home birth and just birth in general, and that it was a spirit, it can be this spiritual experience and not this horrific, you know, medicalized um, process, which is what I had always known about. And so I signed up to do some home birth midwifery classes and I went for my very first day. Remember, it was like an October day, so it was already kind of rainy here in Oregon. And as the teacher started to speak, the, the sky opened up and the light shone down on me. And I had this, I just knew I was in the right place where mm -hmm. I was supposed to be. And so that really changed my life. Um, of course, we learned about herbs for, you know, pregnancy and childbirth and postpartum. And then the midwife's husband was a naturopath who, um, specialized in Chinese medicine. And so mm -hmm. he would teach some of our classes and I just was so intrigued 
um, by all I was learning from him. And so, so that kind of started my learning process. And within that, I had been a pretty sickly young person. Um, I'd been on antibiotics for 13 years as a child. Oh gosh. Yeah. Right. Which I know now, of course, and I was learning in my twenties. Wow. Mm -hmm. That has some long-term detrimental effects. Um, but I started to work with Dr. Joe was his name and I have not had an antibiotic since I was 21 years old. Um, you know, I really, I was really shown another way. It was so powerful and amazing to me to see that, we have these tools, I I can heal myself. I can take care of myself and heal myself. And so that really started my journey and got me interested in, you know, self-sufficiency and homesteading and gardening. And I've had a farm, um, you know, so I, it just kind of jump-started that whole life for me, which is a life of connecting with nature and plants. So how did psychedelic medicines or plant medicines make their way into this new earthy way of living for you? So I'd already been experimenting, you know, I was, I was a deadhead and that was part Mm -hmm. of that, you know, Jerry Garcia had died was part of why I went on that across the, across the country road trip. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'd already been dabbling and really not approaching it in any type of a spiritual way necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was actually kind of right before I went to that midwifery class, I think, if I'm thinking of the timeline, mm-hmm. um, that I had an experience where I did a little bit of LSD, which I thought was just a little bit. Um, and it turned out to be way more than I thought it was. And my girlfriend and I, we were actually at a concert, you know, like a little family friendly environment. We were just so not family friendly. We were inappropriate to be there. (laughs) Um, like we were like laying in a puddle in the middle of this field with families and all kinds of events going on. And so I remember getting home from that and my, and my boyfriend at the time was kind of struggling a little bit, Mm -hmm. um, what happened is at the very end, all of a sudden I kind of came to, and I heard myself say to my boyfriend and best friend, and that is God. Nice. (laughs) Um, So I felt, you know, I felt like it all kind of made sense Mm -hmm. in that night. And I'd been a spiritual seeker since I was eight. When I was eight years old, I started going to church by myself Mm -hmm. and I've been to every denomination church unless, Mm -hmm. except the ones that don't let you in, Um, kind of searching for something. I don't even know if I I was just a kid. I don't know what I was even searching for, you know, searching for God, I guess. When I was 16, I went to my first Grateful Dead show. And then I realized, oh, this feeling is here too, right? Mm -hmm. Because I had the experience in a few kind of church environments where when people are all singing together and like, you know, pouring out love, together Mm -hmm. in a group it's Mm -hmm. so powerful like whatever it's about right so it was about Jesus at that time and I just remember having that experience and being like oh my god this is this is what I'm searching for you know and so this is in this more religious container and then you know a year later I go to a Grateful Dead concert I'm like oh my god it's here too Oh, and then that was mind blowing to me. Like, I don't have to go to church where they tell me that I'm evil because I'm listening to the rock and roll music, you know. (laughs) Um, So that was pretty powerful. And, 
you know, so I, I, I was primed and ready, I think, for really that experience of kind of understanding what it is that I was looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that shifted the way I approached psychedelics a bit. I did actually have probably 20 years where I didn't use any psychedelics. I used cannabis still occasionally, but I was raising children and I had a farm and, you know, it's when I became a nurse and just life, I I wasn't in a place to be really doing psychedelics, you know, Mm -hmm. I was kind of on all the time. Mm And um, so when we moved back to Oregon eight years ago, um, I was a little nervous, to be honest, about using psychedelics again, because it had been so many years. Um, but then it was amazing. So now, (laughs) now I'm open. It is a part of my life. Um, not super often, you know, I feel pretty, um, I don't necessarily feel the need to use psychedelics unless I feel there's a need for me, you know, and, or if I have a question or if maybe I just need a deep touch in with myself in some way, um, is, is how I'm more inclined to use them at this point so how would you describe your integration with with medicine now as you use them you know when you need them but what does it look like for you around the experience well what I find is really true integration doesn't end Um. (laughs) I've been saying this a lot lately I'm like integration is my life like this is what I do all day every day it's just it's a constant unfolding of new awareness in the moment and I think the plants can all plants you know psychoactive plants but but all the plants that we have relationship to are here in support helping I'm constantly amazed by how many plants there are that can help you with anything like whatever is going on in your body your mental state there is a plant I just started working with passion flower because I have a hard time calming my brain down in night in the night yeah and I will tell you a passion flower tastes exactly like ayahuasca (laughs) oh interesting it's like really sweet and like yeah my my body kind of goes like oh no are we, are we going on a journey right now? And I'm like, yeah, we're just going to sleep, but I've been having really intense dreams with it. But I think that all of these relationships that we're building with plants are there to be catalysts for us to really be present in our lives. You know, the plant medicines are not the end of the story. They're the beginning of the story Mm -hmm. and how you are changed in your journeys with them and your experiences with them is integration. It's like how that beginning opens a new story for you and takes you on a new path. So tell me a little bit, well, you just said um, that it's an everyday process. So tell me more about how integration works for you. Well, you know, I just had, it's kind of just at the forefront because I had a really big, um, ceremony in let's see the fall of 2021 you know well you do know that this whole experience happens you know and so I just was kind of taking my time and trying to understand 
you know, what, what really am I being taught here? Right. Because the, the, the all the plants are teachers, right. Mm-hmm. They're just these most benign beings that are so wise that are here to teach us every single one, the dandelion. I mean, she's just a fabulous teacher, but um, you know, my dad died in September. So about a year mm-hmm. after I had had that journey and when, and he died and I went through that process with him and I was like, I had this recognition of, Oh, this is like what that integration has been leading me to, you know? Mm-hmm. So I kind of felt like a year later, I had this burst of understanding about mm-hmm. my experience I'd had the year before, you know? <laughs> so it really, I think was setting me up for being prepared mm-hmm. in some way. Like that's part of the lesson that I was, re- that I received in that ceremony. Part of the teaching was to kind of get me ready for losing my dad you know, mm-hmm. and being able to be there and respond in the way I responded and um, work with my family in the way that I had to work with my family. And so, you know, I still think about it. I don't know that, um, you know, I think the intention matters too. Like part of why, what I'll say my big intention for that ceremony was to experience self-love mm-hmm. Um and be open to whatever message the mushrooms have for me. Cause that's always a huge part of my <laughs> intention setting. What is, what I'm here to please come teach me what I need to know. Mm-hmm. Um, so the self-love piece, you know, that's something I was able to work on myself for that whole year. But I just, after my dad died, I could see so much more of how the whole experience um, changed me. Mm-hmm. you know, but it didn't change me right away. It's this, it's, it's been a longer process of change. Um, that has been really positive. Does that, answer, does that seem like that answers the question? Yeah, No, that's actually, you just made a really good point about the longevity of the experience and how, you know, sometimes, you know, you have the experience and then a lot happens in the days after where you kind of have like instant clarity on certain things. Like you have the, the felt experience is so new and a big, you know, you can have a big up level from uh, any medicine experience. And what I have found in working intentionally with plant medicines for the last like six years is that I get new, I mean, I just had this happen this week where I was like, just thrown back into a ceremony from over four years ago, where I got a message and I had an understanding of it then. And now I'm like, oh, this is what that meant. (laughs) Like now, you know, and I always would tell my clients and, you know, people that are working with these medicines, when your consciousness is recording everything. So you may not understand it in the moment, you know, you may not have the capacity to receive it in the moment, but it's received and it's in there. And when you're ready, it's going to be like, boom, here it is. Now you, here's a little bit of information that you have been cult that you've been, um, percolating for you know several years so why do you why do you do this work like what's your why what is the reason that you work with these plants and do the work um well my first reason is because I just love the plants Mm -hmm. and truly like they're some of my best friends and so um for me when I'm with plants in the garden and the forest and the field wherever it is I may be I 
I never question who I am or why I am or what's weird about me or, you know, there's just no, that isn't part of my experience when I'm actively with my plants, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I love that part. I also really, I mean, I know and believe that part of our, um, the distress we have with humanity and especially in our country, I mean, because that's where most of my experience is from, is because of a a disconnect from nature. Mm -hmm. I mean, people don't know where their food comes from. People don't eat real food. (laughs) There's There's some things that to me feel very basic in the food grows out of the ground and then we eat the food and then the food becomes us and then we give it back, you know, and in the form of stool or whatever as our bodies and when we die even too. So I, you know, I feel like the best way we can actually support and heal the planet is to take care of ourselves mm-hmm. and to really learn to connect with maybe the plants aren't what it is for everybody, but the plants, the fungi, the trees, the fresh air, the ocean, whatever, um, you know, piece of the earth that calls to us is where we, I feel most people need to put some of their energy for connection. Cause that, that's really where the true healing comes in. I mean, the, the plants give us tools for our body to heal, right? So we have physical, um, they provide physical food and healing for us in those ways. And truly we all have our own inner healer, you know? And I think that spiritual healing really comes, I'm going to say more easily when we're in the safe environment of nature. And a lot of people feel afraid of nature right now. And and that just saddens me because we are nature. Mm -hmm. We are her. We Mm -hmm. are God's expression of (laughs) life on earth, you know? And so- yeah, I just want I just want to share that with folks because I just see so much suffering and I feel like it's a way out of suffering. Absolutely. I always laugh because I'm like, we're just monkeys that wear clothes. Like really, we're just we're just conceptual, you know, high thinking apes <laughs> yep. that drive cars and build houses. And you know, we have all these these behaviors that we're like I'm not part of the natural world but we are and and And, and we want to be I think yeah I mean (laughs) it's interesting like where you know where it sort of started of like man versus nature you know like we have to conquer nature so that we can I guess live longer or you know I think about what comes to mind in this moment is like the bubonic plague or something where you know, for a long time, like, we really struggled, we were like, getting sick, and, you know, pandemics were happening constantly, which, you know, we just had a a really nice experience of that, um, which was really not even that, not even that bad, like, if you think about on a historical, you know, historical timeline of how pandemics have wiped out huge swaths of the population, like, this one was not that bad. Yeah. The idea that we are somehow not part of nature or above nature or need to to like make nature submit. And, mm-hmm. you know, we've gotten so far outside of this very symbiotic cycle that nature has. You were just describing it where, you know, everything is in a circle in nature. 
all the cycles are in circles. Everything is feeding each other and all the energy is recycled. And I remember when I was in second grade, I think I talk about this a lot because I love this memory. When I learned that trees make air that we breathe, I was like, are you kidding me? What? And they breathe our air like that we give them. And I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever heard in my life. And I really still think that's true. Like, yeah, we take care of each other. It's right? so cool. And, and we have to do way. our part. Yeah, I felt <laughs> I the same way when I learned about how mycelium works and like that it's, it's just this fabric that's connecting the whole earth. It blew my mind. I was like, what? This is amazing. And it made me have such a deep respect for mushrooms as medicine, not just, you know, psychoactive mushrooms, but like all these different oh, mushrooms that are so, I mean, I put mushrooms on my face <laughs> um, because you know all mushrooms have anti-cancer effects. See, all mushrooms, this, right? An herbalist. Eat your mushrooms. Like yeah. three times a week, I think people should eat mushrooms for prevention and not just white button mushrooms. I mean, and never eat a raw. Okay. Those are a couple little mushroom tidbits. One <laughs> is so three times a week eat some mushrooms for prevention and, and eat a variety. So try lion's mane, chanterelle, shiitakes, you know, if a lot of the healthy food stores have a variety of mushrooms. So I encourage mm -hmm. people to try the variety of mushrooms. Mm -hmm. Almost every mushroom tastes good cooked in butter with a little pinch of salt, uh -huh. Uh -huh. you know, <laughs> and then all mushrooms need to be cooked. Mm -hmm. Raw mushrooms are totally toxic. It's such an interesting thing we have here in the U S you go to a salad bar and you see um, sliced raw mushrooms. They taste bad and they're bad for you. People should not be eating those. So don't eat your mushroom, mushrooms raw. Cook your mushrooms. Cook, cook, cook. What about, what about psychedelic mushrooms? Can you eat psychedelic mushrooms raw? Because I have done that a few times. Well, you know, I know people who eat Liberty Caps raw. There's little tiny, I don't know if you know mm -hmm. if Liberty Caps, really tiny little psychedelic mushrooms. I haven't ever done it. I don't know. I really don't know anyone who has. In, in my circle eating the mushrooms raw um, like fresh fresh yeah fresh yeah I'm imagining they would certainly still work oh they do mm -hmm. <laughs> they work very strongly when you eat them fresh yeah yeah and I'm maybe so maybe even stronger right yeah, because you're know. the liver you know when I think about mushrooms and the psychedelic mushrooms I mean part of the process is going your liver is processing the mushrooms and that is mm -hmm. part of why you get the quote-unquote side effect of um psychoactivity right mm -hmm. or intoxication whatever word we want to use um so if they're raw then your liver might just be doing a little bit more work mm -hmm. you know i don't know mm -hmm. i i definitely am a fan of cooking my mushrooms i mean i eat you know i have psychedelic mushrooms that are dried i'm gonna i'll have to do a little but you further. wouldn't necessarily like cook them you can just well yeah. you can put them in tea or i prefer them in tea but mm -hmm. um you know, and that's what I like to do for other folks too. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, certainly we've eaten them dried. I know for other plants that drying actually helps to break down cell walls and make things more bioavailable. So I wonder if it's the case with the mushrooms too. Mm -hmm. And then I have a little new science project. I've never cooked psychedelic mushrooms before. I've only like put them in chocolate or made some way to make them taste delicious they don't taste yeah. bad though I don't think I don't think so either comparatively to like other medicines they're <laughs> they taste right. very nice but you are cooking them if you put them in tea I mean maybe in, yeah. the, in the chocolate they're probably getting warmed but not really cooked 
Yeah, I would. I generally would like pour the chocolate on them at not a hot temperature, mm -hmm. and then freeze it. You know, so it gets hard. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sounds so good. <laughs> I like to use fresh cacao, so it's like it's double medicine. You know, yeah. You put some dried strawberries in there or something. Yeah. So talk to me about what's going on in Oregon, and I mean, it's so exciting what's happening there. Can you share a little bit about what's happening in the psilocybin, yeah. world of psilocybin? Yes, I can. So here we, uh, voters voted to approve the use of psilocybin for adults 21 and over um, for therapeutic use. And that was in 2021. So we've just started our programs this year in 2023. There's there are a couple different training programs. Um, mm -hmm. I'm working with the, the one that's local to me in Lane County, Oregon. Um, and what it will look like as our students graduate is that they will be able to have clients who they, here's what is, um, here's what they have to do with every client. They have to have some preparation meetings, then they facilitate an experience and then offer integration. Mm -hmm. um, one of the potential sticky wickets that we haven't quite figured out here is that facilitators have to um, sit with their client in an approved retreat center. Mm. And we don't have any of those yet. There mm -hmm. was one um, a big giant property bought by synthesis I don't know if you're familiar I'm, with them yes in I actually have a friend who has just lost her job with them because yeah, it's that yeah. didn't really work out but so they had bought a big piece of property and were going to be a retreat facility but they are not at, at this point it sounds like mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. so you know I think there's other folks in the process of that so there's going to be there's going to be it's not a straightforward timeline, right? Mm -hmm. We are educating our facilitators. They'll go through the program. They get tested at the end of our training. Um, probably a bit more, I don't want to say intensely, but at a deeper level, you know, some of the requirements of the state are going to be more um, revolving around the regulations, making mm -hmm. sure facilitators understand and know all the regulations we are diving way deeper than that in our program, you know? And so, um, yeah, so that's where, where we're at right now. One thing that's kind of interesting about this first cohort is that because we have no legal facilitators, we can't do mushrooms. Oh, wow. <laughs> so, so we've been creative on how we're helping people to have their practicum experience. Mm-hmm. I have worked in ketamine clinics before, so that's an option. Mm -hmm. We um, have some conscious cannabis options, um, doing some breath work, holotropic breath work. We do scenarios. We do have offerings to do retreats in Mexico and other places, other settings where right now it's legal. Once we get to a place where we actually have a legal facilitator, then we can offer that as practicum in our So program. what are the qualifications for the people who are being trained as facilitators? Are they mental health workers or is there um, licensure that's required or can anyone? Anyone with a high school diploma mm -hmm. can become a facilitator. Um, 
you do get licensed by the state. Once you complete your training and take your state exam, then you have a facilitator license through the state of Oregon. Mm -hmm. We do, I mean, a huge portion of our students are have another license, a professional license, therapists, social workers, nurses, um, doctors, actually. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of interesting. Um, as a professional with another license, one of the rules is that you can only work as a facilitator under your facilitator license and not bring in any of your other professional skills, which is really tricky <laughs> because, um, you know, once a nurse, always a nurse. What if I had somebody with a medical situation? I'm totally going to respond in the way that I am trained to respond. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so we've had some there's there's a lot of that, you know because this is brand new. It's never been done before in a statewide kind of legalization way. And so we're trying to figure out really how to do this, um, to do it the best way we can. So mm -hmm. I kind of foresee that there'll be changes that happen over the next two years or so, just to really make sure we're, um, providing the best education we can and really keeping our clients and participants as safe as possible. Um, as we learn new things. Mm -hmm. That's so exciting though. I mean, really, it's, it's such amazing. a, it, I have so much hope that this is happening because if it can happen in one state, it can happen in all 50 states, <laughs> you Definitely. know, it might take, it might take some time, but um, the idea that people could just access mushrooms whenever mm -hmm. they need, like, that's really beautiful. And <clears throat> I think it's actually pretty cool that people who are not just in the medical profession are able to go in and facilitate. The state's been really, I think there's been some really great things that they've done. You know, part of why I wanted to be involved is because I watched cannabis legalization um, happen here and it very quickly became profit driven and patients got left behind. Mm -hmm. and, and and that's still the case, you know, and then, so we've lost most of our small farmers. They just can't even afford to be cannabis farmers Our pioneers, right? The people who've actually been growing medicine for decades can't afford to do that anymore. So um, I was concerned about that, what was going to happen with psilocybin movement here. And so a few things the state has done really well is um one, you have to be a resident of Oregon for two years in order to become a facilitator. Mm -hmm. That's awesome because that does help a bit with uh, manage the big money that wants to come in. All the, you know, the whole synthesis thing happened, but maybe that's a little karma. I'm not really sure. Mm -hmm. I don't know them all firsthand. So I, I'm just mm -hmm. reading the articles. Um, and you know, the other is that it's really been focused on social equity. And that's part of why you don't have to have a license. You know, you don't have to have a license to be able to appreciate plant medicine and hold space, mm -hmm. you know, and, and for some folks with licenses, they're really good at doing that. Um, but holding space is hard work, you know, um, it is a high art as I like to say, it, because yes. it's like a very, it's not something that can be quantified or qualified or quantified by academics. You know, yes. it's like such an energetic, emotional, earthy. I mean, you have to be very grounded to hold a good space. You have to be yeah. grounded in yourself. And I think <laughs> historically, at least a lot of the therapists that I know have went into therapy because they needed therapy. 
And um, I'm not, not to knock therapy or any of the other, you know, modalities at all. Like, I think it's all very valuable. I got so much out of doing talk therapy when I did it for many years. And there's something about working with plant medicine yourself that requires you to do your own work. And mm -hmm. I think if you are going to be a space holder or a facilitator, you have to do that work. You can only take people as far as you've gone yourself. Yes. And like, personally, I would never work with somebody in any form who's working with psychedelics who doesn't work with them themselves. Like, right. I just, that's my own personal feeling about it. Um, a lot of people feel more comfortable having a medical professional there, you know, like a nurse or a doctor or a licensed therapist, and they want to be in a medical setting because that's what feels safe for them. So it's, it's nice that yeah. there's all these options that are coming out that allow people to have a choice to how they receive this. You know, not everybody can go sit in the dirt in South America and, you know, get wild with jungle juice and do singing and crazy shaman stuff. Right. Like some people are just like, no, I'm already, I'm, I'm working with enough. Like I don't, <laughs> I don't want to add all of that into the mix. So yeah. it's like to have it accessible in the United States would be so powerful. And I'm really happy that it's happening. Oregon, good job. Yeah, I think so too. <laughs> I think so too. I mean, I, I think we're, I, I feel proud what's happening here I, and amazement at the fact that I'm a nurse and I specialize in cannabis and psilocybin that's so I, I mean if, and I'm doing that and that's legal like, so amazing I've been a criminal my whole life you know <laughs> <laughs> oh I so, hear yeah you. it's very cool I hear you very cool uh, so yeah. let's talk about let's talk a little bit about your work with cannabis um as I was saying before we started recording like I really had anyone on the show talking about cannabis as medicine I became a cannabis nurse a little bit out of default. I didn't know it was actually a thing. Mm -hmm. And when I was, I had a farm in Vermont for 15 years and towards the end of my time there, cannabis was became legal medical cannabis. And, and I was getting phone calls from elders in my community about medical marijuana and they didn't know what to do. I got my card, but I don't know what to do. And I was kind of like, well, I don't know what to do either. <laughs> um, so that started my journey into learning more about how cannabis can be used, not just smoking it, mm -hmm. um, which is just what I'd been familiar with. And so I started to delve into that around that same time I got my own autoimmune condition. And so I started using cannabis. <laughs> you say that myself. like you bought like you bought a new car or something. You're like, I oh know. yeah, I got my own autoimmune <laughs> condition. <laughs> lots of learning with that, you know. It was a lesson. <laughs> Um, lots of lessons actually, but mm -hmm. yeah. So then I started to incorporate it myself. Actually, this is kind of a great story. Oregon connected is that I was making this topical pain salve with a whole lot of other herbs. It worked okay, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't changing my life necessarily, even though I was dabbling it on all the time. Mm -hmm. And our family came out to Oregon to visit. And I have a girlfriend here who was, a, you know, a pioneer in the cannabis world and a longtime grower. And she gifted me this bottle of um, cannabis oil that she had made. And I put that on my elbows. I just remember doing, I just remember doing this and just being like, oh my God, 
this is the missing piece of the puzzle. This mm-hmm. is it. So then I went home and I started adding cannabis in and I created this pain salve, which now um, when I moved back here, I partnered with the same girlfriend and we have, we have a beautiful pain salve. Best one. I think it's the best one out there. It's not legally sold yet because we mm-hmm. haven't, it's so complicated to get to sell some product with THC in it. But um, yeah, so that got me started on my personal journey with cannabis that just kind of like overflowed into everyone around. And in the last six years, probably six years or so, um, about six years ago, my dad got cancer Mm. and I had worked with one client previous to him um, with using more concentrated cannabis to kill cancer cells. That client is still awesomely alive and healthy and doing really awesome stuff. Amazing. Um, and my dad, he had been a homicide detective, right? So I grew up in a cop family and he what? wasn't ever like mean about cannabis. My mom was really mean about it, but he was just, he used to make his comments about how, you know, it's not the stoners that are out there killing people. They're just laying around eating potato chips, you know? So, <laughs> so I kind of knew from him. I mean, I learned a lot of really valuable stuff from my dad, I have to say, considering I've been a criminal for most of my life. <laughs> um yeah. So yeah, I was there. They gave him, he had this massive surgery, 112 staples across his abdomen and kidney and told him he had a year to live. And so he should get his affairs in order. And I went back to help take care of him. And the whole time I was there, I just couldn't, I just was thinking a lot about it. And at the very end of my stay, I said, dad, I, you know, here's what I do. (laughs) And I believe you have an option. So this is the option that I want to offer you. I'm I'm happy. I will help you, whatever I can do. And so I sent him a little information and it took maybe six weeks or so later, I get this letter in the mail from my dad, which he never sends me mail, um, telling me he's ready. And he so, sent you a letter? That's beautiful. He's ready. So we got him started on high THC cannabis, actually. Um, orally, and he just has he had a little bit every night before bed, pretty much knocked his socks off for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but he eventually got adjusted to it. He loved that he slept so well and he didn't hurt at night. And my dad just died this last September, so um, his one year, you know, time frame turned into six. Wow, that's so amazing. It was, I and and really, I learned so much from him. I mean, mm-hmm. most of my practice now is with cancer patients. Mm-hmm. Um, I learned, I've learned so much from my dad in that experience and that there's this kind of idea and a lot of, and, and a lot of internet information that people need a gram a day of oil or these really super high amounts. And I know that a lot of folks do use those super high amounts and it works. I also know that not everybody can handle that type of cannabis and that they also can have benefits using less. So, um, you know, I saw that from him because he never changed his diet or did any of the other things that I would recommend to folks that I'm working with. Um, he just added in this like one dollop of cannabis before bed every night and that kept him alive for a long time. So, So what kind of work do you do with people around working with cannabis? Um, So I do cannabis consultations. So a lot of education. And I used to, when I started, it was really just primarily 
education about cannabis, educating about the endocannabinoid system. I don't know if you know that we have an endocannabinoid system. All mammals make our own human cannabinoids. So we're already doing this, right? We've already got our human cannabinoids flowing around through our body. We're creating them. They're attaching to the receptors. They're doing the work to help keep us in balance and healthy. Um, And then if we need to support that system, because we have so much stress or we have an illness or we have environmental toxins that are affecting our body's ability to make its own human cannabinoids, then we are so lucky that we have this plant where we can get phytocannabinoids from or plant-based cannabinoids to help supplement the system. Mm-hmm. Definitely my work now has transitioned a bit in that people come because they want to talk about cannabis and we talk about all the other stuff too, because mm-hmm. diet and lifestyle and your emotional health is so important. I mean, I, I can't not at, at some point in every meeting with a client, we have talk about prayer gratitude, you know, like, how do you, what do, how does your spirit feel? What can we do? How do you help support your spiritual self? You know? Mm -hmm. Um, so that's mostly, I mean, I primarily work with cancer patients. So we delve into some deep stuff. I do work with folks with a variety of other conditions where cannabis can be helpful. And it's, it's definitely not for everybody. Um, you know, it's not the panacea that it's always made out to be. It certainly can be surprise, helpful surprise for a lot medicine of conditions, right? Save you. Oh, I'm shocked. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Um, so I use a lot of other herbs too. And I, I actually did a presentation this year called Cannabis the Gateway Plant, because what I found is since I have kind of opened my practice to being a cannabis practice, is that I'm practicing so much more herbalism now. Mm. And people when they recognize that cannabis is helpful and that it's a plant it just opens their awareness to the fact that other plants can be healing too right back to that early conversation we had where people are disconnected from nature like most people don't think about plants as being medicine right i mean they're killing their dandelions it's like one of the best plants we have everywhere right next to us on purpose right Mm -hmm. and then we poison it so you know, I, I love that part of cannabis and how it's helping to wake people up to, you know, more plant medicines, to nature. I mean, part of what I do with my clients is talk about, well, how are you getting outside? Are you breathing fresh air every day? You know, things like that that are really important for overall healing. Mm-hmm. That that understanding that plant all, that plants are like our allies is such a huge breakthrough to make in yourself. And I think it is such a important part of the spiritual path because if you can recognize that plants are alive, they're living beings with spirits and energy and, you know, they, it's such a, it's just like, again, it, it brings me back to this, this magic of this earth that we live on. The earth is a living being, you know, the water is alive. The rocks are alive. Everything is alive. The air is alive. We are alive. Animals made up of the same things. Yeah. And we're all meant to live here in harmony together. And it's, that is so beautiful to think about. And you can do that yourself, you know? So one of the other things I wanted to ask you about is being self-sufficient and, you know, working on 
taking care of yourself and taking care of yourself at your home. Like, how do you, I know you have a long history of living in like farms and communes and your stories are so cool about how you, you know, have lived in different intentional communities. And so what wisdom do you have to share around self-sufficiency for kind of the average person who's living in a city? (laughs) Well, um, I mean, I think there's a great empowerment in getting to know a plant. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and one of the gifts they give us is, is that we can take care of ourselves. I think a lot of people don't recognize we are the ones in care of ourselves, you know, and let's not give our power away. Um, so I, I feel like plants are really helpful with that. As far as being in the city, I mean, there's all kinds of plants that grow on windowsills. Mm-hmm. Um our spice cabinets are an amazing apothecary of mm-hmm. healing herbs. So just kind of learning how to incorporate some of those into your everyday, like adding, having fresh time on your windowsill is one, so great for your food. And two, time is an amazing medicine for respiratory issues. One of the few herbs that help helps to grow the cilia on your lungs, which are the mm-hmm. little hairs in our lungs that help push the mucus back up and out. Mm-hmm. And, you know, during COVID, um, that was part of what was killing people, right? Is that there's thick, sticky mucus and they couldn't get it up and then you get pneumonia and then, uh, you know, there's this whole cascade mm-hmm. that happens, but w- that's so simple, right? Mm-hmm. Your time and you probably have time on your medicine ca- and your kitchen cabinet because mm-hmm. we use it in our spaghetti sauce or whatever. Um, I, so I think kind of just training, retraining our brains a little bit to like chop up some parsley and put that in your food. You know, mm-hmm. that's medicine, actually. Mm-hmm. It's food, but food is medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, to be honest about being self-sufficient in an urban area, I've not lived in an urban area since I was 20 years old. Um, wow, maybe 21, cool. actually. <laughs> and then I moved to this little cabin on the commune. Mm-hmm. I was 21 and it's this little, we call it, it's called the chicken shack. When mm-hmm. I moved in, I changed the name to the Yoni Cottage because Ooh. I was young and I was just going to focus on myself and practice midwifery. And then when I was 30, I looked for a boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And then my husband moved into another cabin on the land the same day. Oh, so that, wow. that didn't really happen. By the time I was 30, I had three children and a farm in Vermont. So it was like a very different <laughs> outcome than my plan. But um, I mean, yeah. you kind of called that in with the Yoni cottage. You know? I guess so. Right. But it was the Yoni cottage, <laughs> no boys allowed, but it didn't work out that way. <laughs> When anyone hears something totally wild is my, uh, my son lives there, lived there. And this beautiful woman came and moved in to the chicken shack, the Yoni cottage chicken shack. And part of why she wanted to move in, you know, she just loved the space and it felt really kind of witchy and mm-hmm. <laughs> like have this little space that's magical. And now her and my son are married and has had a baby. <laughs> so it's so wild. Cause we, and, you know, my husband and I look at them and just think this is just so wild, right? Mm-hmm. That they're kind of having that same experience we did. I don't know what's up with the chicken shack. I'm going to, do they have a vacancy? Maybe I need to move into the chicken. Maybe I need to Maybe that could be how we advertise. We welcome <laughs> people one year at a time for the chicken shack magic. <laughs> nice. That's so funny. But Well, that's really good advice actually about the herbs and um, 
just buying fresh herbs to have in your house and growing them yourself. Certain mm-hmm. ones I feel like are harder to grow because I use them so fast. Like I could mm-hmm. not keep cilantro on my, I would just chop it down every week because I eat a lot of Mexican food. Yeah. And, yeah. <clears throat> and parsley is another one where it's like the quantities that I go through, but things like basil and thyme and oh, um, oregano is a yeah, good one. Chives are really easy to grow. Mint yeah. is mint will just take over your whole house basically. Totally. Like, so rosemary is another one that's super easy. Um, I actually have a dead rosemary that died in the winter and I'm like, I think I can resurrect it. Like, I think that it might come back. We'll see. I don't know. You can use the dried leaves or something. Yeah. Yeah. I've been Give like, them a little smell and see if they're still fragrant. Yeah. I just sort of forgot about it when I moved. I was like, Oh, I'm so sorry. Um, but I think trying stuff out is really important. You know, like you don't have to do it perfectly. You can do it just a little bit at a time. You don't have to have a whole garden on your patio. You can, Start with herbs and get to know them and see how they are. Get some flowers. You know, it's so nice to have flowers just growing outside. Spring is coming. So I finally live in a place that has winter. So I'm like, oh, spring. (laughs) (laughs) Very exciting. So the one last thing I wanted to ask you about is healthcare at home. You, I know you do some work with birth, some work with death some work Mm -hmm. with helping people through hard times, like with cancer. Mm -hmm. So can you talk a little bit about the work that you do in healthcare as well? Yeah, well, um, I, I officially left our standard healthcare system in October of 2020, Mm -hmm. which has been so great for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I suffered a lot of moral injury in my time there, even though I know I did also a lot of really good work. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, from my young, I mean, from those early days of home birth for me, it made sense that we would do as much as we can in the place where we feel safe. Right. So as far as birth, I think mothers should birth wherever they feel safest. And for some women that's a hospital and for some that's a birthing center and for some that's home. Um, and you know, back in my early twenties, I was certainly more righteous about that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm glad I've learned. I know I hurt feelings of some people that I really love a lot back in the day, thinking that was the only way, you know, I've definitely come to have a more balanced understanding and appreciate our modern medicine. And it came out of a need, you know, our system is not meeting the need (laughs) that it was created for, um, because it's really definitely a profit for people situation at this point. Um, so yeah, I love home birth. I love home death. I think home death is really the best option for everyone, unless they do not have somebody there to help care for them, which is really a sad thing that happens more often than we want it to. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, that's our other giant life transition, right? Birth and death. And so to be able to have that in the comfort of your home is really huge. Mm-hmm. Um and in my family, you know, I've raised all these herbal children and we, but we've also gone to the doctor, you know, I had one son have anaphylaxis to a bee sting when he was four that jolted me out of my, um, you know, the little bubble I lived in because epinephrine's really great mm-hmm. <laughs> and saves your life if you need mm-hmm. it. So, you know, I learned about Benadryl, I learned about epinephrine I had my second son 
had to have open heart surgery when he was two. So oh, wow. actually that's what kind of sparked me to become a nurse was mm-hmm. recognizing that the nurses are the people who care for the family and the child. It's not the doctors. They show mm-hmm. up and for their minute and a half and give their report and then they're gone. And it's really the nurses who are caring about, about our family. So um, that was another time where, God, I had to put all my faith in the medical system. It was really, really, really hard. Mm-hmm. And I also know that the praying that I was doing for my son made a difference in that mm-hmm. environment. So like, I just learned a lot. That was a huge learning curve and also mm-hmm. pretty traumatizing um, for a long time. You know, I would yeah. be at the grocery store and all of a sudden have a panic attack that he was dying and I wasn't there. And mm-hmm. like fly 45 minutes to his school and he's fine, you know? Right. Our modern medical system is really good for acute issues and traumas and major injuries and diagnoses, but really in the care of ourselves for long-term chronic illness, actually true care of your own body is best done at home, in my opinion. And with with plant medicine, plant medicine, energetic medicine. I mean, as my time goes on, I I see my energy healer first Mm -hmm. every time now before I, you know, I take my own herbs. I guess I would see my herbalist first if I had a different herbalist, but um, the herbs are kind of always part of it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I prefer, she's like my first Mm go-to. And and I think that energy medicine is really powerful. Yeah. I mean, I think you have to be careful with diagnoses from the medical establishment because sometimes a diagnosis feels like a prison. Sometimes it can feel liberating because you're like, okay, I know what's wrong with me. Right. But at other times, you know, there's, there's a lot of labels and you're essentially, someone is telling you uh, like, you know, generally proven by tests and, and medical science. Here's what, here's what we think is wrong with you. Right. But it might not be too. Like, like I have been diagnosed with a lot of different things that I don't have over time with like chronic pain, especially if you have a chronic condition and you go to a bunch of different doctors, which is generally the path that happens with that before you find your way to herbalism and plant medicine and energy healers. Yeah. (laughs) Before you're just like, I give up, like, I can't do this anymore. I mean, I was told I had degenerative disc disease. I was told I had, um, like a pinched nerve in my neck, like all of these different things and, and a bunch of different reproductive stuff too. Um, you know, they recommended when I was 38 that I have a full hysterectomy because I was having so much menstrual bleeding. And like, if you take that stuff on, sometimes you can make really serious decisions about your health that you might be able to solve in a different way. You might be able to solve in a more holistic way, a more natural way. And, you know, the, the plant medicines are not just for your emotional <laughs> trauma, like they yeah. fix your, they fix your physical stuff too. And, totally. and most of us are getting physical ailments because of the unprocessed emotions, because of the trauma, because we don't have the capacity to actually feel our feelings. So we repress them and then it shows up as cellular damage and disease yeah. in the body. Yeah. And I'm going to throw our food in there too. Oh I yeah. Like food. That is just a, mm-hmm. I mean, one of our greatest causes of disease. Yeah. Just Doritos. (laughs) Right. Doritos, like any drive through. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, one of the things that I offer to people is I have this little 
you know, there's so many fad diets and there's so many things and how do people really decide how they're going to take care of themselves? And, you know, back to that, getting a diagnosis too, in the world of cancer, the diagnosis is important for the work that I'm going to do with people as far Mm -hmm. as deciding, you know, um, what ratios of cannabinoids we're going to use and let's look at your diet and all these different things. But what I, what they do is they give somebody a cancer diagnosis and tell them when they're going to die. Yeah. Right. Like that's not fucking no, no, someone else is going to die. I mean, I can be with somebody dying and I still don't know when they're going to die. Right. We don't know how to do that. So it's, it's, that is disturbing. I try to reframe when I meet with people and say, what we are doing is we're figuring out how you can best live with cancer, mm-hmm. right? People live with cancer for very long periods of time mm-hmm. and have really good qualities of life. So, so I'm trying, I, that's what I would like to see is some reframing of that, mm-hmm. you know, and, and in the world of diagnosis, that just gives us a little place to start to look for mm-hmm. the root cause, right? Absolutely. But that's not how it's presented to patients Mm -hmm. when you get a diagnosis. Um, I think that that like doctor, you know, we respect our, we respect doctors. We, we like hold them in high regard. They go to school for a long time. You know, they're very well respected in our society. So when somebody in a place of authority like that tells you something like you have six months to live, you're going to onboard that. And and, you know, if, you, if you're told that you only have six months to live, you're going to be thinking every day, like, oh, my God, like my clock is running out. We all only have six months to live, really. Like we're all in the process of right. coming to the end. That's. Yep. And we just don't. Spoiler alert. We're all going to die. <laughs> yep. 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 Just nobody told us when yet. Yeah. Right. right so like, exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. So I think like and I've seen this a lot with because I end up working with people who have, you know, been told that they're bipolar or have some, you know, a lot of these different mental health diagnoses. Mm -hmm. And it's like, what does that actually mean? Like, what is, what is under, where is this coming from? Like you said, like, what are the root causes of, so it is, it is really helpful to know like what these doctors have said as you're journeying into a path of more holistic health, it's important to be open to Yes, have the diagnosis, but also where is it coming from? Like, what is the root cause? Because that's really the most important thing is finding the source so that yep. you can treat the source. Because so you many are not your diagnosis. No, not at all. And so many illnesses, especially when you get into like chronic, chronic illnesses, autoimmune disorders, have so many similar symptoms. Like, you know, it's like what lottery? I'm gonna spin the wheel and like, which one do I have? <laughs> Because so many of them have overlapping symptoms because they're often coming from the same kind of root causes where, you know, in some kind of trauma that is unresolved or some energetic something in the past and the body is creating, you know, trying to get your attention and like, here's pain, here's anxiety, here's fear, here's depression, here's weird rash all over your body. Like, who knows? It's food intolerances. IBS, like fibromyalgia, there's so many different things that can come. And um, it's just important to be open-minded because that's why we're doing all of this in the first place is to see what magic can come. Because it's mm-hmm. not a black and white thing where you get this diagnosis and this is what's going to happen to you and then you're going to die. And like, it can be more nuanced than that, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I find, you know, 
I mean, I think cancer is a great place where the different forms of medicine can all come together to be helpful. There's a few things like cancer and Lyme disease is another um, where people actually can benefit from all modalities, you know? Mm -hmm. So I, I really... I don't know if I'm seeing so much in standard medicine that cancer care is inviting in alternative care to support it. In fact, mm -hmm. a lot of my clients, you know, well, if depending on where they live, in some places they just can't even say that they're using cannabis because it's oh, right, of course. for them. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, there's a lot of doctors who don't support their patients doing that either. And we have plenty of research to show that this is actually a really smart thing to do. Mm -hmm. um, so I, you know, I have hope, I guess I have to always have hope. <laughs> um, and I'm going to maintain a little bit of that in the world of medicine, because I know that there are really good people on boots on the ground working in healthcare who mm -hmm. give a shit, right. Absolutely. They're doing it because they care and they want it to be better. And um, I think if actually the people who are really providing the care to patients had more to do with um, the overall administration or organization of healthcare it would look really different than it does. Absolutely. So you, you absolutely have to do everything. I had this really amazing conversation um, with Carlos Tanner, who's the founder of the ayahuasca foundation. And he was saying, you know, what if we took people who are getting chemo and put them in the forest while they're getting their chemo and like, mm -hmm. you know, had a ceremony around this infusion that they're getting and prayed over them and yes. treated it like we treat plant medicine. I was like, that's amazing. <laughs> that's yes. like really, you know, visionary. And, and imagine if we could have our hospitals felt like nature preserves, you know, like what kind of healing would people get in if we combined all of this? Cause it's not like the medical, the medical part is not bad. It's, it's that it's everything is sort of segmented and we don't we don't combine all of our knowledge into let's let's like make a, a really holistic treatment that treats every part of you everything is so compartmentalized and you know there's a specialist and they're like I just work on the heart I just work on right. on the digestive system I just work on the circulatory system and all of these systems are connected. We're just like one human being, you know, our mental health is not separate from our emotional health is not separate from our physical health is not separate from our spiritual health. Everything is connected. Yeah. And if you look at how plants work in nature, you can see this all over the place. Like this connectedness is everything is part of an ecosystem and we are also an ecosystem. Yeah. Well, things like, like I'll use Ella campaign, for example, which is this really big, tall plant that's um, in the sunflower family that has a yellow flower, like a sunflower, but it's very small compared mm -hmm. to how big this plant is. And so alicampane is a plant that we use for respiratory health. Um, and we use the root and it helps for any kind of um, like lung infection where there might be green in your mucus, right? Mm -hmm. So it just really helps to um, cough hard, cough less, but cough harder and get mm -hmm. all of that phlegm out. And so um, I don't know if you're familiar with flower essences, but flower essences are energetic medicine. And it's where we take just the flower and the magic and the, what does the flower have to communicate to us? The lessons from the flower, right? And we capture those just in water, right? In water with the sun. And then you can use this, we dilute and dilute and dilute like homeopathic 
ethics actually. And so it's really the message from the flower that you're getting. So that's how that energetic medicine works. But the elecampane flower is really helpful for grief, for working through grief. And in Chinese medicine, we hold grief in the lungs, right? So so this one plant, you know, actually physically, we use part of the plant to help with these physical issues that come up in our, and whether or not you got your pneumonia from grief, I don't know, but you know, um, you probably got it from a bacteria or a virus, but it it's helping in that way. And then when you take in the flower essences, it's helping in this energetic way to clear other things that are in your lungs. And maybe you're going to have healthier lungs because now you've cleared out the grief that we're holding in there, right? Mm. That's stagnant. So they do. And then, and then it just sitting with the plant. I mean, that I learned so much from my plants when I sit with them, you know, I have this little tiny jeweler's lens because I grow cannabis too. And, you know, at the end of the season, when the flowers are, are, coming ripe um we look at the trichomes which are the little crystals that are on the cannabis and that's where the cannabinoids are is in the little trichomes which are the resin of the plant so i look at those every day twice a day because that's how i determine when it's time to harvest my plants mm -hmm. but i love that little jeweler's loop because i look at all of the flowers talk about psychedelic just, <laughs> everyone should have a jeweler's lens you go back to feeling like you're eight all over again oh. and get your little jeweler's lens and come up to like you know, some pretty little flower and they're just like iridescent and all these colors. And some flowers have like a hundred flowers in the middle of this one flower wow. that you would never see if you didn't get up really close and personal. So mm -hmm. that's just a fun project nice. to try. You can get jewelers loops pretty inexpensively online. Start looking right, at flowers. Everyone, up you heard it right here close. first. Heather says you need to get yourself a jeweler's loop and go outside and stare at plants with it. I love it. Yeah. This is great. Psychedelic. Advice. It's so yeah. awesome. So Heather, can you share about how do people connect with you, how they can work with you? What are your offerings? Lay it on me. Okay. Um, I have a website. It's herbsongfarm.com. Okay. I do have an apprenticeship. It's actually starting next weekend. Um, so I, this is my first year doing an online apprenticeship as well. So mm -hmm. I have an in-person here in Oregon and an online apprenticeship. I used to go for 10 months. Um, I also, people can sign up for consultations there. I am currently working on a few new offerings, um, of a little more long-term support of working mm -hmm. with people, which I'm really excited about. Cause I think, you know, when we make a commitment to ourselves, we have a lot of transformation and mm -hmm. I love to work with people who are committed and ready to do their work. Um, mm -hmm. so that's coming up. I am on Instagram at Herbsong Farm mm -hmm. and I sometimes share little herbal tidbits there and whatnot. Mm -hmm. I'm getting better at learning how to use social media. <laughs> it's um, a slog. I'm in a, I'm in a period of like stripping down to just typing on white background. I'm like, I'm not making anything fancy anymore. I have thoughts. Here they are. <laughs> I don't it's even know how to make fun. something fancy. Well, I thought your post today was excellent. Actually, oh, thank you. So. <laughs> You know, I get a lot of those same questions like, well, why is, why is coaching so expensive or why is working with you so expensive? Mm -hmm. and, and it's like so much more than just the hour that we're mm -hmm. talking. You know, if I have a new client, I'm reviewing their medications. I'm reviewing their diagnosis. If I'm working with somebody with cancer, there are new medicines coming out every three days. I mean, I just learned about a new medicine last week that's only available in a clinical trial. So I'm researching for an hour, you know, trying mm -hmm. to figure out, well, what does this even do? Right. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. um, so I just really appreciated, I thought you spelled that out very well of all Thank the behind you. the scenes work 
that mm-hmm. goes into the in-person work, which is mm-hmm. why, um, why it's of high value in my mm-hmm. opinion. So, well, yeah. and that's why people want to hire you is because, you know, it's not just like this concept of trading hours for dollars is so outdated. It's, it's like, you know, when you pay a doctor, you're paying for all the time that he spent in medical, he or she spent in medical school, the time that they spent doing their residency, like the time that they spent studying the time that they spent, you know, working on cadavers, (laughs) doing, you know, all of this, all of this expertise, it's the same for, for other, for space holders who are working in other medicine spaces. I mean, I've sat in hundreds of ceremonies, like in service, keeping fire, taking care of the family, doing my own work, um, watching my teachers work with people who are in real crisis and being able to witness that is, has informed my, all of my work so much. And I think, you know, just remembering that, you know, if we want to create a new paradigm, we have to stop expecting things to work in the old paradigm. And social media has tricked us and made us think that, oh, well, look at all this. It's free. And it's like, it's actually not free. They're taking, they're watching you. They are recording everything that you look at and they're using it to sell you ads. So they're showing you ads to get you to buy stuff. Like we've all agreed to participate in the system. And, you know, I think social media is very valuable. It can be very connective. It helps people find each other. It has a lot of good, it has a lot of good uses. And it's also hijacking our consciousness. <laughs> like absolutely. You have to really be careful. Like, what are you, what are you consuming? Like, what are you looking at? What are you, what are you expecting from people who are creating on this platform? Like if you're expecting to just receive an endless stream of free ideas and knowledge and and you know content that's something that you need to look at in yourself because yeah. everyone deserves to get paid for what they're doing because this is when well, i think that the comparison in. thing is really hard about social media too of mm-hmm. um i i just think it it disempowers us to recognize our strengths and beauties when we're looking at other people who who may be in the same field or that we really admire, but when that's what you're seeing all the time, then it reinforces this, oh, I'm not good enough, mm-hmm. imposter syndrome type behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, and also just, you know, I just did a little cleansing out of my social media a couple of weeks ago because I realized there's people here who I, every time I see their name, I get an icky feeling. Yes. Okay. Why am I seeing their name? Like, what yeah. am I doing here? It's just, is that, it's like some weird, I don't know why it took me so long to recognize that, but I was mm-hmm. like, that, that's weird that I'm even wanting to know what somebody I think is an asshole is saying. <laughs> well, and, and like that little, tr- that little trigger that you have is sort of there too, to be like, I actually don't have to subject myself to this. Like sometimes it's like, I should be, I had this <clears throat> happen to me, because I wanted to be, okay, I'm going to support people in the psychedelic industry. Like I want to, you know, be a community person. And I I do feel that way. But so much of what is going on in that space, I find so triggering and like, 
not resonant with me because I'm like a I'm like a hippie earth witch. Like I'm not down. I don't care about your psychedelic investing. Like I don't want right, right, to hear about right. any of that. And so I had the same thing where I just unfollowed all of them. And it doesn't even have to be somebody that's remotely like you to trigger you. I'll give you an yeah. example. Yesterday, I saw this reel of this beautiful man who is a, he's like a yoga, he's a yoga teacher. He's super flexible and really strong and can just like contort and like, you know, the video is of him on a beach. Like, I think he was showing mobility, like how to do this mobility and how to get your joint. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Like, I want to know about my, my hips are tight, <laughs> but I'm watching this guy. And I was like, I felt this like sinking feeling in my stomach of like, you're really not living your best life. <laughs> just watching this just watching this like yoga guy who I have nothing to do with and no I'm like my body doesn't do that okay but you know for women especially like seeing someone have some kind of body that looks or feels perfect to you or able in a way that you're not can make you feel really bad about yourself and you don't have to look at that stuff if you notice that that happens unfollow block like block that person that guy doesn't care he has 40 million followers or something he doesn't care if I blocked him I'm like blessings to you sir like your amazing job if I see that again I'm probably gonna eat a pizza or something like it made me feel really really bad and I was just like looking at this and myself going like wow that was intense that was an intense reaction I had to this yoga guy um but good awareness I yeah, just want to say good seems like you. super nice like, I'm sure it's really friendly and maybe we would be friends or something but I was like I can't you're too you're just too badass you seem like you live on a different planet where people can do one-armed handstands on rocks and like right so, well people a- are kind of mean to each other like you know even in the herbal community which is been my home for a long time. I'm not feeling as much. Well, since I started getting into cannabis, I got a little separated because Mm -hmm. cannabis was not widely accepted in the herbal community until really recently. And I would Mm -hmm. say it's more widely accepted, but not totally. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, but I was seeing these nasty posts about um, really ever since COVID, I think COVID like made some people crazy, not the actual virus of COVID, but all the bullshit that's and the lockdowns and all that stuff. Yeah. And and just like being mean to each other. Like people are mean. There's a lot of mean people right now. And and I think they're just afraid is my Mm -hmm. guess or something, but you know, um, so this one particular person just kept posting these horrible, just bashing about medical astrology and bashing people who use crystals and who would use flower essences? That's not evidence-based. And I just thought, I just kept seeing these posts. I'm like, well, I do that. Oh, I do that. Ooh, I do that too. And I, you know, like knowing and she's and, a witch. I, I, right. <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry, those things are valid. Yeah. Totally valid. I love medical astrology. I've been studying astrology for 25 years. And now the fact that I can pull in a little piece, and I'm not advanced in any way with it, mm-hmm. but now I know how to look at a chart. And maybe take a few little pieces of that as one next level of awareness for my client I'm working with. And mm-hmm. that might tell me, oh, do I want a hot, energetically hot or an energetically cold herb? You know, just like mm-hmm. some little, and, and I don't know, I'm just practicing. I don't certainly base my whole practice off looking at somebody's chart, but it is nice to have a little extra tool, right? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Something that happens on a spiritual path and a reconnection to the earth. 
you don't get to tell other people what to think or how to behave or how to do work or what is right or what is wrong. Absolutely. You get to believe what is right or wrong for you and shut the fuck up. Because right? like really what other people are doing is bodies. none of your business. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's not. And and stand, you know, stand in your corner and shine your light and like gather your tribe around you. We are meant yeah. to be living in small tribes. Like that's how we evolved. And it's not really that recent that we've been living in groups of people where we like radically disagree with how everything is done. It, you know, normally in the tribe, like everyone's on the same page because it's a small group. The larger right. the group gets, the harder it is to make everyone feel on the same page. And, you yeah. know, now we're in a um, big countries and big global societies. And there's a lot, like how many people, seven and a half billion people is a lot of ideas and opinions and yeah. beliefs and whew, like you can't you just can't control what other people are doing <laughs> like I just know. put that down and like go have fun go outside yep. hang out with some dandelions also that word should I just like <laughs> have to bring up this word I, I just think that's a horrible word it is when anybody says to me you should do this it's like this little switch goes in my head and I can't even hear them mm-hmm. I'm like oh that person just shoulded me I'm going to oh, probably yeah. do just what they told me not to do. Yeah. <laughs> they're trying to, they're trying to tell John, my partner would always say like, are you trying to tell me? Don't try to tell me. If you try to tell me, I'm going to do the opposite. Like you just said. So if you're trying to tell someone, maybe like walk it back a little bit because yeah, it's tell your, to tell guide or offer. Right. Mm-hmm. But to know anyone's should, I mean, I don't even always know my own shoulds. I try to not say that to myself. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like how often are you telling yourself you should do whatever? Like, where does that even come from? Right. A lot of times it's like an inner critic or, um, you know, a trigger from Instagram or something of like, yeah. And, trigger from childhood. Yeah. You know? yeah. Well, a lot of the, the inner critic voice comes from our parents, you know, mm-hmm. like we onboard that. And then, we're telling ourselves, don't do this, don't do this, you should do it like this, this is the right way. I mean, and then, you know, you get the program from society as well. So there's constantly something telling you that whatever way you are, whatever way you're doing it is wrong. And right. it's not wrong. It's not wrong. And that's why plant medicine right. is amazing. Because it just tells you, hey, you're awesome. You're part of all that is the real check how you are. Yeah, how you are is perfect. So yeah. I mean, I, I've raised three children. And had a lot of shoulds and a lot of guilt and wondering if I've done things correctly. And like when we brought our children back to Oregon, which is um, uh, clearly a cannabis friendly state and also a psychedelic friendly state, you know, suddenly there were brand new conversations that I needed Mm -hmm. to have with my children um, Mm -hmm. about those things. And I'm so, you know, I want my kids to talk to me about psychedelics. I want to hear what they did last weekend if they went out and they had an experience because who else should they talk to about that, you know? And I just, you know, I kind of knew because they were teenagers, right? That this is this is frowned upon in society, right? There's no question as to whether that would be frowned upon, but hmm. I've raised these amazing kids and I'm so glad we did it that way. And I'm really glad the first time my son took LSD without any preparation or plan. And we had to pick him up from the police, right? Which was traumatizing <laughs> for everybody. And I sat with him all night long. We talked about really deep, awesome stuff, you know? And so, you know, I, I've definitely 
it's gotten easier to recognize that what I maybe should do to, in society, which has never really been my great greatest strength, um, <laughs> no one knows. And, and I think we each have to make our own way and how we do it, whether it's about your children or about your family or about your own self and health, you know, like we do know better than anyone else. Mm-hmm. We know better about ourselves than anyone else. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we need some support to help us access that inner healer, but we have it all. We already have it in there. So, mm-hmm. and that's what plant medicine does beautifully, helps us access our inner healer. That's, that's mm-hmm. already, that's, it's already here. You know, mm-hmm. it just helps us um, recognize it. Well, thank you so much, Heather. I really love this conversation. If you want to get to know Heather more, you can follow her on Instagram at Herbsong Farm or visit her website at herbsongfarm.com. Heather Shelton, nurse, magical witch, plant witch. Thank you so much for being here. And thank you. Do you have any last wisdom you want to share before we go? I'm just going to tell everyone to spend a little more time outside. Mm. If you haven't been outside yet today, go outside and take three very deep breaths of fresh air. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you, Heather. Thank you. Mm -hmm.